Hi, this is David Vincent, and I'm the superintendent of schools for the Wiley Independent School District, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amanda Martin. Hi, I am the director of counseling services in the Wiley Way, and welcome to the Achieving Kids podcast. This is a conversation featuring experts and subjects related to raising happy, successful children in today's world. On each broadcast, parent guests will join in and provide their perspective on current trends and issues our kids face in school, society, and at home. Our goal is to provide a better understanding of how the decisions we make help promote the best interests of our kids and community. We will tackle big subjects, entertain different viewpoints, but the focus will always be on equipping you with the strategies that will help them become achieving kids. Good Whatever time of day you're actually watching this, oh, yeah, right? True. <laughs> it's Friday. It's nine something or ten o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning. We are. It's rainy outside. Mm-hmm. We ha- we're wearing sweaters. <laughs> Sweater we weather. Cozy. Cozy. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking, guys, about self management. Yes. Yes. And I managed a lot by several people. Many selves are managing Ooh. you. <laughs> and I, I really need it. I love it. It does not bother me in the least. And, but here's the thing. So, Kelly, when we take, we ask kids to take two different strength surveys in Wiley. One of them is the VIA survey. Parents, teachers get on there. VIA is from University of Pennsylvania, a really good survey. And it's really based on character strengths, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's free. Everyone listening free. can go take it right now. Yeah, and it really is, uh, and everybody loves, you know, thinking about how they're strong and perhaps some of the challenges. And then we have the Gallup organizations process of which we pay as part of our Naviance stuff. So, and we do that in fifth grade and then ninth grade, right? Yes, sir. So, we, Amanda, share very few things in common. (laughs) We all want to be more like Amanda. No, we balance. It's a balance. The yin and yang of each other. So, self-regulation, because there's 36 strengths, and like self-regulation is one of our our lower it's our last one both yes. of our for last both of you yes. for both of us so that is our that's where we're common because i really feel like i need to tell somebody when something's going wrong i really feel like i need to you know that they want to hear from me and clearly they don't but i feel the need to get that out and then uh, but you know in my own life i've realized that my success and failure is dependent on Number one, being self-aware to know that. Mm-hmm. And then the number two thing is to have people that are around me that, you know, help me to, to make decisions and to do for different things where I'm where I, I need to have a filter to help me do that. And, and the best parts of my life are when I have those people and accept their help. Yes. And sometimes other people see it in you before you see it in yourself, mm-hmm. if ever, mm, which you know, depending on your personality style, you have to be open to recognizing when someone's trying to give you a little help in the self-regulation department. So what about your self-regulation? I think I like, I think I'm pretty good at helping other people. Mm-hmm. My number one Gallup shrink is empathy and his number one is command, right? Mm-hmm. I want my way. <laughs> and she was, feels bad for everybody. Well, it's a good, it's a good perfect time. for your roles. You know, right. like, again, goes back to my everyone leans into their strengths professionally. Yeah, we, we do that really well. I'll lean into that strength really good. <laughs> yes. But it. so I think that it's easier for me to notice those things in other people than to regulate them in myself. 
which is your whole point. If you have a team or people that you trust and care for and that you know trust and care for you, you can listen to them. But it is hard to hear. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's easier personally, mm-hmm. you know, if you're married or you have family members that are going to call you on your actions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also professionally, too. If you have a trusted team around you that you have a safe environment where people can call you on your things, too, that can be helpful. Like just last night, for example, in my own house, my daughter, who's a fourth grader, um, had rehearsals for this big show she's in. She didn't get home till nine o'clock. My husband went and picked her up. So it was 9.15 and Mr. Jameson thought that she should shower to just sort of like calm down from the day and Mm -hmm. get her into bed. Well, like she's nine. Like to her, a shower isn't like calming down, that that seems like work for her. So she didn't want to shower. But to him, that's how he sort of de-escalates at the end of the day. He takes his shower and just sort of calms down. So they got into it about the shower. But now it's Mm 9.15, and I could tell they're both escalating. She doesn't want to shower. He thinks she should shower. So I finally walk into her room, and I said, listen, it is 9.15 at night. Everybody's tired. Neither of you are at your best right now. You go to bed, and you go do something else. Mm-hmm. And they just both looked at me and Chris turned and walked out just of the room down. and Peyton's was like, thank you. <laughs> so you, like, she won. She Well, it wasn't, that's not no, how that's she not, de-escalates. I, I, I need to be a better person. See, that's how, there's my self-regulation. Because <laughs> <laughs> the command in you would have made her showered, right? Yeah, but self-assurance was my second biggest deal. So I, I want my way and I think I'm right. But like for her, calming down is not taking a shower. She wanted her bed. Mm-hmm. She wanted her sound machine on. Mm-hmm. She wanted her like stuffed animal, right? So an adult comforting. and a child have two different, sure. you know, de-escalation strategies. So if you're running a classroom or a family, you have to know that what makes you feel good is not necessarily what makes other people feel good. It's so true. When we talk about social and emotional wellness, you know, knowing, self-aware about the fact that I need to have someone to help with that process of self-regulation, which I do, and it works famously, but, but, but being able to accept that help is another thing, and then realizing everybody else is different than you is so hard. Absolutely. Because it feels so true for you, why isn't it true for everyone else? I just, well, and I really do think my way is the best way, and I just, and I've really got to get over it. And I mean, and I get that. I know. Good. Good. Well, okay. So last time when we talked about self-awareness, we really kind of honed in on like identifying your emotions, mm-hmm. naming them, understanding yeah. them. But that's just kind of one piece because today's talking about self-management, regulating those emotions. And when you just mentioned her, your daughter, how it's not the same for everybody, even thinking about my own kids, it's not the same for each of them. Mm -hmm. So how can we help? What are strategies that we can help after we've identified how we're feeling? How do we regulate those emotions? Again, well, some people when they get triggered, Mm -hmm. right? So, well, let's back up a little bit. So, you know, when someone's what we call emotionally dysregulated, they're out, their emotions are out of their control. Right. So they feel like they don't have a handle on how they're feeling. So they've gone way up the scale and now they feel out of control. Mm-hmm. And this is when people aren't at their best. Because what happens is they, they're looking for control. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, they feel out of control, right? Once we're triggered and we're way stressed out and we've oh, reached yeah. the point of no return, what we're looking for in that moment is control over anything. So we snap. We snap at someone or we're irritable or we say something rude. We're trying to like adjust the power dynamic so we feel in control of something, Mm. which in schools and with little kids, now that looks like a behavior problem. 
Yes. Right? So it looks like a discipline problem. Right. But if you back it up and sort of look holistically at the child, they've they're so dysregulated that they're looking for control over something, mm -hmm. which is complicated because you have to have a close eye on these kids to sure. recognize where's that point of no return and did they cross the line and then is it punitive at that point or is it, do they just need a hug, right? And in schools, a lot of people aren't either trained or have time or aren't paying attention to the whole story to know what the child needs at that point. Right. So, you know, to, to have like paint a broad stroke saying how do we teach kids to de-escalate is unfair because it's so different for everyone and it's very contextual. Mm -hmm. Some kids, when they get overwhelmed, they um, like they feel they have energy. They're out of control, right? They're all over the place. Some kids, when they're overwhelmed or de or, or dysregulated, they draw in mm -hmm. and that's going to look very different either scenario whether they have a lot of energy or they've pulled in they need a big person to help them shift their energy at that point yeah and that's where it comes into having those teachers who are very well trained and speak the language and know the kids and take the time mm -hmm. so it's very complicated um, to know what to do in that moment if you if you research a lot of this de-escalation skills everyone talks about breathing 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 yes. you know if i had a dollar for every time i heard the word <coughs> breathing mm -hmm. um, oh, but there's so much more to that it's it's a lot about health right so people get dysregulated if they're not sleeping well if they haven't had a good meal if they're not properly hydrated if there's too much stimulation if they're super introverted and it's a noisy environment mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons but people that are getting chronically triggered right or dysregulated yeah. are people that aren't healthy holistically they're not sleeping enough they're not getting enough protein they're not getting enough water um, so we got to take a look at those kids who are chronically dysregulated and figure out how we can help them holistically because we tend to just hit the one, you know, thing that they did wrong in the classroom right. and just focus on that. That was Parents a lot the of same information. Way, <laughs> yes. this, no, but, but to hit on that and to really take that all the way through is really big because again, okay. So now when I work with parents that are upset, the most important thing that I do, and I've learned this is I, respond very, very infrequently. And I do a lot of writing down. And the only time I do stop and say, I want to make sure I got what you were here to hear what you were saying. And then 95% of the time, I always say, can I do some research? Because I really do need to go find out a little bit more about this, because I want to find out more about it. But in that moment, they're emotionally dysregulated. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's not good to say, hey, I think you're emotionally dysregulated. Yeah, no. Probably don't want to lead with that. Mm -mm. No. no. So but I mean, it is important because in that moment, they're loving their baby. They 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 might have been wronged, and then a whole lot of listening and understanding. And it's hard. Yeah, but as occasion. adults, we have a word for this. We call it the twenty four hour rule. Right. Yes. You get that email. Mm -hmm. You get that voicemail, and you're immediately triggered, mm -hmm. and you want to respond, and you want to explain and defend. But we know this thing professionally called the twenty four hour rule. Yes. Like wait 24 hours to respond. And if you still feel that agitated, then maybe you haven't given enough time. But as adults, we know this 24 hour rule. Kids, they don't have 24 hours, no. right? They're on a minute by minute life. Um, so it's more important to teach them those skills in the moment. But for adults, we do a little bit better job because we know maybe I shouldn't respond to this email. Mm -hmm. Maybe I shouldn't call that parent right now. I need to calm down first. So the, 
issues I have the most problems with is because or that I have the hardest time solving because I, you know, I get called a lot of things. I get those, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this is part of the job. And sure. I mean, it's not personal. It really is. And then right. I never take it that way. I mean, you know, but you know, when I'm trying to solve a problem, it, I have a lot of success when people are really thoughtful and kind of can come back and think the biggest issues I have with kids and with adults, especially is when they're never wrong. And they don't have a level of awareness where they can actually understand how that they might have been a part of this concern or that they're not in that moment, that self-management piece, ever willing to say that. And I really think that they don't think that they're wrong mm-hmm. or that it's a weakness to be wrong. Mm-hmm. How do you, is there a tip, a trick, an idea from adult to you know third grader to handle this in a way that's yeah. more productive? Well, this comes up in therapy quite a bit. A lot of teenage boys, some teenage girls too, I hear this from parents, they're never wrong. They never believe they're wrong. No. So if we un- and they truly believe it. They really do. They really do. And that's really hard to parent that. If you unpack it a little bit, at the bottom of that is some insecurity. Mm-hmm. So they, they feel so insecure, but they're wildly fearful to let the world know it. So they overcompensate by being very stubborn and always right. Is there a way to help them understand that? Because in every statement I make in my mind, and even if it's a clarifying question, it seems rather judgmental. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to do that. I, and plus it escalates the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear that from parents who want to sort of argue with the child about why they're wrong. But in the moment, that isn't productive. Because like you said, the child truly believes that they're correct. As a parent who has a child who's always right, the important thing to remember is don't try to tackle it in that moment. Yeah. And if you're arguing about whatever, the chicken in front of them, don't choose that moment. Just recognize that that's something else that needs to be worked on and fostered in that child. It really isn't about the chicken. So I wouldn't waste your time, energy, or breath on it. Mm-hmm. I would just say, okay, yeah, sure, that's chicken, even mm-hmm. though it's really pork. Like, just go with it. Mm-hmm. And then just know that that's, that's something in that child's sense of self is missing that needs to be um, a little bit more fostered in another moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, if you look at the employees that we've never been able to bring back to a moment where they can be successful, typically it's their inability to say, you know, I'm broken, I'm wrong, I need to change something. It's really hard, and Mm -hmm. it's just heartbreaking to us because I always feel like a failure when you can't do it, right? Mm -hmm. And for kids, it's even more important. And then above one more layer of that, when you're the parent, you have one less level of credibility for some sort and because they don't want to hear it from you, so... I'm going to get Jimmy from down the street to go tell him it's something else around. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know anything in our own house. Yeah. And so from that self-management perspective, we're really trying to say those strategies to how to manage those emotions. That's what we're trying to get to from a, from every facet of life. You know, I mean, it's just really important. So there's going to be stressful situations. Mm -hmm. Those come, we're there and you know, how to handle that is, is one that, you know, my own kids, for Christy, for y'all, for whomever, you know, I learned pretty quickly how to do that. Are there tips, tricks, or ideas about how to, when they're in these stressful situations, to self-manage? Yeah, and it, it's my answer to a lot of things is modeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I think tone of voice is critical to any of these scenarios. Mm-hmm. Tone of voice has to be sort of cool, calm, and collected mm-hmm. and in control. Um, oftentimes... 
when someone's triggered, we get triggered, mm-hmm. you know, and some people are better at this or worse than this than others, but it's important to, you know, some of the best teachers, you watch videos of them in terms of this concept, they're able to keep a very cool, calm mm-hmm. voice mm-hmm. and their tone messages, you're okay, you're safe, we're gonna figure this out, works, works in homes too. So I think tone of voice and modeling that and, um, you know, it's good emotional intelligence really right. is to watch someone else get triggered and upset and to be able to manage your own stuff in that moment. Right. People who are the best crisis counselors can do this or someone comes to them mm-hmm. in, you know, complete crisis and you're able to stay cool, calm and collected. Mm-hmm. So if we can model that as big people for these little people, um, we're just coaching them along the way that no matter what happens throughout the day, but you can stay cool, calm and collected, your tone of voice sets the tone and energy is contagious. So if someone's mad or worked up and all of a sudden you find yourself catching that energy, that's not going to benefit the scenario if you're in a role that's supposed to be helpful as a parent or a teacher or a coach. Um, So you got to sort of have the emotional intelligence to be able to recognize that you're maybe sitting in conflict or crisis or dysregulation and you have to keep yourself centered and anchored Mm -hmm. and, and calm voice to sort of bring the energy down because you can only think problem solve or, you know, think futuristically if you're regulated, complete emotionally regulated. It's funny because when I look at that from my own kid, okay, so we're playing Jesuit the other day in football, my kid, he gets, he thinks he's hurt and he's hurt. And so the, in halftime they bring him in and typically what happens is the doctor comes in in halftime and you're kind of analyzing the situation. His knee got tweaked a little bit. The doctor said, he's, he's okay, and the coach comes in, he's good to go. And so my son's very serious and probably thinks I'm a little immature, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's, he's, but he's stressed, and I can see that he's stressed. And so, you know, the doctor says all this stuff, and I said, hey. And then I start telling a little joke here, because I think it's going to be really funny. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, this is not the time or the place, Dad, to be talking about that stuff. And I was like going... Well, I give up. And so he just walks out mm-hmm. and goes to the game and stuff. I thought I said, I think I really helped that, but probably not. I think it really helped. But I'm trying to right. de-escalate. But it goes back to my original point is what de-escalates you clearly did not de-escalate your son. Oh no, that's clear. Right. So But it was a funny joke. But neither the doctor nor the football player thought it was funny. I think that the, the trainers that moment, the trainers laughed. On the inside. Mm-hmm. Or out loud. But the thing is, I'm truly trying. And, and I think that that's the thing about the self-awareness piece. And I mean, he's 18 years old. You're trying to learn where, he, where they are where they are, and what they're doing. And even in that moment, which, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty insightful person, still miss it sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, my guess as a therapist would be that you were probably a little concerned too, as his father. Oh, yeah. And so you were trying to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. So you outwardly told a joke, which is your style, but you were just trying to self-soothe. Now it makes me feel like I'm being a jerk. Well, but people say that a lot. So then, those no, not at all. I mean, you were, you know, trying to take care of yourself. Well, but I mean, again, it comes back to your same notion as you do the things that you're going to think you make you feel better. And and you know, in crisis situations, of which there are many, you have to be the anchor. Right. In this job, your job all of the time is to be that thermostat and not the thermometer. Mm -hmm. And so just to kind of say it's all going to be fine. When in your mind you're going, oh my gosh, I hope that we Mm -hmm. get through this. I mean, Mm -hmm. and it all works, but. It's hard to not do that. Right. I was at the um, Bush Library on Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. with my daughter field trip, and they showed the video of President Bush reading to the oh, class. Yes. And then the 
the guy comes in his ear and basically tells him mm-hmm. what's happening in, you know, and you can see his face, you can see his eyes get bigger. And then he basically checks himself that he's in this classroom and he's With reading stories children? to these children. Yes. So he basically, um, the advisor walks away and he stays calm and finishes the story and then says a very thank you for having me, but I have to go, you know, and he's very cool, calm and collected and leaves despite the fact that he was, had literally just received awful information that required his immediate attention. Mm. But he recognized that he didn't want to scare the children. He stayed very cool, calm and collected. They have the whole thing on video. You can watch his face when he gets the information. You can see his eyes get big and then almost immediately he calms. I mean, that's powerful, really powerful and a very good example of what we're talking about. Self-management. Earlier, you had mentioned um, kind of the two ways when we get dysregulated about high energy or withdrawn. If you're at Target or whatever and you see like a two-year-old throwing a fit, mm-hmm. you know, that's a two-year-old. Yeah. They're going to, mom's going to scoop him up, get past it or whatever. When you see a nine-year-old throwing a fit, you're like, they're nine. Right. Shouldn't they know better? Yes. You know, but that's not true. No, not at all. So no. could you share some tips or thoughts from your perspective on the high energy, like the, the outward emotions of the high energy when they are dysregulated, what could we do as a parent or a teacher to get them back to that kind of centered, more calm space? Right. Um, again, your tone of voice is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Um, with little ones, it's important to get on their eye level. Okay. Um, and then, you know, with my little one, he's a first grader. He dysregulates frequently. He just has like an mm-hmm. anger streak mm-hmm. out of frustration. So instead of sort of talking down, I always try to get to his level, use a calm voice. And even if he's this, I don't know if this would work in the classroom or not, but he, he'll be railing about something. And I'll say, do you need a hug? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll go. Yes. Oh, even though he's mad, he's, he's mad. So mad. He's so mad. And I will get mm-hmm. down on his level, say, all right, buddy. I know you're upset. Like, can mommy hug you? Do you need a mm-hmm. hug? And then he's like, and then he's okay. And then he can breathe. And then he sort of calmed down a little bit. So um, I think it's important to recognize with your students and these kids that you know so well, their personality style, right? Right. So a super introverted child needs something differently than an extroverted child mm-hmm. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those high energy, you know, those ones that act out when they're dysregulated, that's important to not be so punitive about whatever. Maybe they threw a pencil or, I don't know, you know, slapped a notebook off a desk or something. Don't focus on the act, but the why. Okay. I think that's so important. Mm. If a teacher is willing to do that. Right. If a teacher's willing to do that. Because what happens is, you know, the child will do something and then they will have to sit out at recess. Don't get me started on the lonely lunch phenomenon or sitting out at recess. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. We'll, we'll do it sometime. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's usually the same children who are acting out. Right. So a lot of teachers think, well, they will learn because I sat them out at recess. Mm-hmm. They won't do it again for fear that they don't want to have a lonely lunch, meaning they sit by themselves at lunch. Again, don't get me started. But the teacher thinks that the consequence is what will change the behavior. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely backwards. Because if that child learned, then the same child wouldn't continue to act out in the classroom. Right. So you can't argue that him sitting, her sitting out at recess every time is going to be the lesson. Clearly, that's not the lesson. So you want to back it up and talk about their emotions prior to the behavior and get to the root of that. I was never a elementary principal, never an elementary, well, I taught elementary, but it was GT. And 
my interactions with the kids was always more of an uh, older level this situation. And when I became a, uh, a central office person and started working with elementary, I didn't realize how much elementary kinder one and two spent getting kids in their lane. Mm-hmm. Regulating, managing, developing behaviors to the point where when, when the kids in fifth and sixth grade enjoy that they can sit in their seat and can go walk from last one class to the next. If secondary folks could incorporate some of those strategies that the elementary folks do, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to go sit in the square at, 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 at you know, in 11th grade, that would be hard, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they do a lot. And I, you know, those are the things I'm most impressed with about how they do Absolutely. those very things. Absolutely. Okay. What about the withdrawn kid? Because I think that doesn't cause as much chaos right in the space yeah right so and it's it easier to be like hmm. yeah. yeah they're okay they seem okay right yeah. they got they're over quiet. it yeah mm-hmm. right again it takes a uh, emotionally intelligent teacher to recognize that and to see pattern behavior in that child to know that oh they're withdrawing so you know teachers can do an inventory sent home to parents at the beginning of the year right. with some of these questions about Tell me about when your child's dysregulated, what helps your child calm down? That can be sort of beginning of the year paperwork. And then as the children get older, like middle school, high school, they fill those sheets out themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the teachers take time to read them. You know, that's something we and could look at and so digitally, I mean, how to, how to help that out. Because Absolutely. everyone loves talking about themselves. It's a really good thing to be able to do that. The thing that I'm going to talk about next is when they talk about the idea of self-management, you know, they use the terms ethics and integrity. And when you talk about ethics and integrity, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. I mean, I could obviously how that works, but mm-hmm. but how does both of these things influence relationships and their ability to self-manage? Yeah. I don't I don't love this idea in the context of self-regulation. Okay. Because what happens is when someone acts out because they're dysregulated and we question the integrity or the values, we remind them of their values mm-hmm. or their integrity. Mm-hmm. Now we've just invited shame. Yeah. Like you did that thing that that goes against our value system in this family or at the school or in this classroom. Right. Then they feel ashamed. So I don't love the tie-in with ethics and integrity in Is terms of regulation. To get at? Is that what the researchers are trying to get at? I think so. It's like, you know, if, if you know your values, you walk in them. Yes. Right. And you like should no mistakes are allowed. Yes. Like yeah. that should always be your guide. Your lane is the value system that you've agreed upon in your family or your school or your classroom. And when you step out of that, you've acted poorly. So I don't love that idea in the context of this because we're all going to get triggered. We're all going to get dysregulated. We're mm-hmm. all going to get overwhelmed. There are days where we're not our best selves. Yeah. Um, and we just can't expect we just can't expect that kids and adults are always going to walk in step with those values and on a daily basis just seems unfair and it really is a hard thing for us to grasp because ultimately you're trying to get those people ready to go right i yeah. mean they're really trying to get them in the last thing that they mentioned and i you know i want everybody to have be able to self-regulate to be have be self-aware and then i also want them to set goals so they here's how your behavior is going to be so you know to know when they've broken it and yeah. i know that you're going to probably both of you will have an opinion on that so do you want to talk about that yeah also a little unfair 
you know, I, I know that goal setting is sort of the, the last part of the self-management, self-regulation yes. piece, but you've got, you have to assume that they are, they're able to recognize, name, and own their emotions, then know how to calibrate according to those emotions, and that they're clear, calm, and collected enough to work on a goal that they've set for themselves. Yes. I mean, you talk about 57 pieces of the puzzle have to be in order for a goal to be set and, and you know, worked on is just seems like a lot. I remember as a principal one time, this kid named Brett, I said, Brett, been in the office a ton of times. <laughs> Come on. Are we going to see you again? He goes, I'd like to think not. I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> he was self-aware. Yes. Yeah. And, and, Completely and, self-aware. And the thing is, is yes. Brett, I was like, man, I, I can't even do anything mm -hmm. to you. And that's an mm -hmm. awesome answer because mm -hmm. he understood where he was. He needed to grow and he needed to not be who he was. But he knew that it wasn't going to end tomorrow, and probably I'll see you tomorrow at the same time, same sure. place. Yeah. I mean, I have so many thoughts about that boy. There's clearly, he's getting something out of visiting with oh, you sure. or getting the attention from the teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something lacking where he feels like he needs that attention, albeit negative, but still attention. You know, the so. consequence is worth whatever he's doing because he's getting to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I learned a lot. Me and Britt spent some time together. Oh, and, and, and my my whole problem, I think, as a principal, as I found it, lots of things entertaining. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we all, from my self-regulation, needed to work on that. But it was nice, and it was fun to be able to get to know the kids. And then when we were talking about those behaviors, the, the general reminder, and not just, hey, but, mm -hmm. you know, because I get it. But, I mean, it's not judgmental. It's more like, you know, this is the things. Because I do worry about when I see a senior acting that way, saying, we're fixing to let you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do? If that's not the last question, yeah. we're sending that kid out, self-management. What yeah. should that kid look like? Right. Well, I think you got to back that up and say, you know, you'll, you'll see a complete change. If someone comes into your office thinking you're going to talk to them about the bad behavior yeah. and all of a sudden you hit them with a so how are you doing like no really tell me how are you doing what's going on like in your personal life or yeah. at home you will see an immediate change yeah. in their demeanor because you've hit to the heart of it so i think that's so important to say how are you doing mm -hmm. you know like really no really how are you doing like tell me You'll see the shoulders, this happens in therapy. You see the shoulders release, you see the face change. They will often tear up because people just aren't really asking right. how they're doing. Not many people do. I'll say another thing, I ask question I ask, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but what's important to you? And when I ask that question of children, often from five to 18, they, they, they're, sometimes they're, they're having to go searching themselves about what's important. And then when they get there, they'll realize that they're trying to protect that, do those things. And, and you know, someone who or something that's not that's important to them that they've lost or is in problem or is, is in is in problematic form. They're they're in self emotionally dysregulation okay. moment. You know? Yes. And no one's at their best when they're dysregulated. And I know we only have like one more minute, mm -hmm. but. You mentioned earlier kind of like the chronic things. If you see this happening over and over again, um, and maybe the parent just doesn't feel like they know how to handle it, do you have kind of a idea or tip? Like when would you say, you know, maybe you should go seek some professional help? Because these, a lot of these things can be helped in therapy. Right. Yes. I would say if it's a pattern behavior mm -hmm. of negative behavior or, you know, disciplinary actions at school or... okay then, um, and a parent knows, 
Yeah. A parent knows if their child's off and they know if they're getting one too many phone calls from the school. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a school administrator to say, hey, can you come in? I want to talk about Nick today. Yeah. yeah. Like really what's going, what's happening? Like give me some background information so that we can understand. But I would just say um, pattern behavior of sort of negative consequences or negative attention. Then go see a professional. They can help you. Absolutely. Socially and emotionally adept kids are going to be achieving kids. I think that that's the bottom line because no matter how well they do academically and athletically from a fine arts perspective, if they're not balanced, it's going to be really hard for them to find the success and take full advantage of their talents in life. So being self-aware, having the self-management to do that are the first two aspects of that. And I think next time we're talking about relationship skills or we're talking about social awareness. Social awareness. Social awareness, something we all need. So (laughs) thanks much. Achieving kids. We'll see you next time. 